secular in every way. And we need the gospel. <laughs> we need the gospel to transform people's hearts and lives so we see the world in a completely different way from God's point of view. And so I do want to speak to you about being prophetic this morning in an outward way. And I've called my message, Doers of Justice and Lovers of Mercy. Doers of Justice and Lovers of Mercy. And I'm going to uh, read a chunky portion of Isaiah 58. If you can read with me, we're going to read the first 12 verses. It says this, Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, the house of Jacob their sin. They seek me daily, and I delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you do not see it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no notice of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. You oppress your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel, to fight, to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it not to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this fast, this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? and to bring the homeless poor into your homes. When you see the naked, to cover them, and not hide yourself from your own flesh, then shall your righteousness break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing finger, and speaking wickedness, and if you pour yourself out for the hungry, and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom will be as the midday sun. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy the desire of your desire in a scorched place and make your bones strong. And you will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins will be rebuilt. And you shall raise up the foundation of many generations. And you will be recalled the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Father, help me to be faithful to your word this morning and to bring liberty and freedom in this place, to bring joy in this place. But at the same time, Lord, we want to be those that hear your word and respond to it with open hearts. And so I just pray that you'd help me this week as I preach in Jesus' name. Um, wasn't that story of David, uh, David's story just amazing? Didn't it encourage you? We can make a difference. It doesn't matter what your skill is, what you're called to do, where you work. 
we can make a difference for the kingdom if we will just hear God's voice saying, this is what I want you to do today. And that's really what I'd like to speak about and use Isaiah 58 as the basis for that. And I want to remind you right at the beginning that we have been saved for the sake of good works. We have been saved for the sake of God-honoring, God-exalting good works. We have not been saved just to avoid doing bad things in our lives. We have saved, been saved to do good. And it follows, therefore, that people, uh, the people of God, Jesus follows, Jesus' disciples, shouldn't primarily be known for what we don't do, but for what we do do. We shouldn't primarily be known for what we are against, we should primarily be known for what we are for. This is what it means to be a prophetic people. What do we stand for? Listen to what uh, the Scripture says to us. Ephesians 2, chapter 10, Paul says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. Uh, um, in Titus 2.14, he says this again, Christ gave Himself for us to redeem us all from lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. And you remember the words of Jesus, Matthew 5.16, Let your light shine before others so that they might see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's clear from the Scripture that we are saved by grace through faith, for the sake of good works. Now I want to say this. We are not saved by our good works. The basis of our salvation is the grace of God. That's the bedrock. We don't add anything to our salvation by what we do. Jesus says your righteousness before you are saved, He says your good works are like filthy rags. But after you are saved, God does want you to do good works for Him. That's what's quite clear from the Scripture. We're not saved by our works, but we are saved to something. And the something that we are saved to is to do good works for others so that people can see the glory of God. And I want to put it to you that if God continues to grow this church and um, our influence into this community and into other areas of this nation, may it be, my prayer is that it would be in God-exalting good works in the name of Jesus. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Colossians 3.17. That's my prayer for this church. And so my message today is simply a call to you and I, all of us, to live as a prophetic people and to be people that are doers of justice and lovers of mercy. Doers of justice and lovers of mercy, people who walk humbly with our God. And that is quoting Micah 6.8. So really, this text that I chose this morning, um, it's all about social justice and practical mercy. And before I apply it um, to our church and our situation, I just want to make a couple of things clear. One is that Isaiah is writing this before 700 B.C. And he knows, as he's speaking prophetically, that the Messiah is still to come. The Messiah has not yet come. The Redeemer has not yet come. But he's writing this. And he is convinced as he writes this that when the Messiah comes one day, he will bear upon himself all of our sin and our injustice. That's what Isaiah is saying. And the other thing that he's saying is when Messiah comes, when the Redeemer comes, he will bring in, it, in his person, he will bring the very justice 
and righteousness that God demands of His people, the Messiah will embody that justice and righteousness. And we see this in Isaiah 58, um, Isaiah 53 rather, where he's prophesying again. Isaiah says this, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him, the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His stripes we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to our own way, and the Lord has taken upon us the iniquity of all. That's what he prophesies. So the Redeemer, the Messiah that is to come, that, that, that Isaiah is prophesying about, takes all of our sins upon Himself, and He embodies the justice and the righteousness of God at the same time. So in the Messiah that is to come, He shows us the way, and at the same time, He brings the very justice that God demands. And so you might say, well, Ant, this is all Old Testament stuff. What about Jesus? Well, what about the New Testament? Well, Jesus... He takes the same mantle upon Himself. And as you know, in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, He gets up and He quotes this very Scripture. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon Me because He has anointed Me to proclaim good news. To the poor. He set Me to proclaim liberty for the captives, the recovery of sight for the blind, to free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus quotes Isaiah. He says, everything that Isaiah was longing for, I long for the same things, and I embody what Isaiah was speaking about. In other words, all the justice, the righteousness, and mercy that Isaiah demanded of God's people, Christ brings into the world in His person. He embodies it. And a whole new dawn of justice and mercy arrives in the person of Jesus. And so when we read Isaiah's indictment of God's people 2,700 years previously and his call for justice, we don't hear it now as the Jews would have heard it, but we hear it as Christians now knowing that we stand on this side of the Messiah. We stand on this side of Jesus. We stand on this side of all that he came to bring through his life, through his death, through His res resurrection, all that we bought, He bought with His blood. And so, when we hear Isaiah call us all to do justice and to love mercy, we keep this in mind, that Jesus has come to show us justice and show us mercy so we could see it and He bought it with His blood so that we could do it ourselves. So what is the main point of Isaiah 58? Here's the main point. Isaiah is saying this, your righteous zeal, your fervor, that doesn't produce a passion in your life for God-exalting social justice and practical mercy is worthless. That's what Isaiah is saying. To put it in another way, to put it more positively, he says at the end of that portion, he says, your righteousness will break forth like the dawn and your faith will be seen by everyone through practical acts of justice and practical mercy. That's putting it positively. I could say it in another way. Religious zeal, prayer, worship without fruit, devotion without deeds is not what pleases God. That's what Isaiah says. That's what Jesus says. Cry aloud. Do not hold back. 
Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgressions. They seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to me. That's what the cry of, of Isaiah is right at the beginning. These are Bible-reading people. These are church-going people. These are pious religious people. These are worshipping people in a way, and they enjoy just to do that. They think that's enough. They delight in their religious practice, but they don't enjoy God and His ways. They are not seeing the world from God's perspective. And I'm trying to encourage you this morning. Let's start seeing the world from God's perspective. What we do on a Sunday is beautiful, it's wonderful, it's lovely. It pleases God. But I've said this over and over again. I want to encourage you, the real stuff starts when we leave. The real life is lived between Sunday and Saturday. And so in verse 3, these people ask God a question. We have fasted and you don't seem to see it. We have humbled ourselves and you take no notice. That's what they say. And what does God say? He answers them and He says, Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and you press your workers. That's what God says. He says, well, you're fasting and praying. The reason why I'm not answering your prayer, why? You're pressing your workers. You're living for your own pleasure. In other words, God is saying your pious religious practice is covering up ungodly behavior in your life and actually I'm seeing that behavior in your life. I see your business practice. I see how you behave on Monday at the office. I see your merciless, your harsh, oppressing ways, the way that you deal with others. That's what he says, verse 4. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like this will not make your voice be heard on high. This is not the fast that I choose. It's not the fast that I choose for someone to humble himself. It's not to bow down his head. I want to put it to you this morning. I want to encourage you with all my heart, just as we heard David's story, that the real witness of our lives is what happens during the, in our workplace. Um, the, 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 the authenticity of what we do on a Sunday is shaped by justice on a Monday, how we behave at work on a Monday, how we treat each other in the office. Uh, uh, I've quoted this before, but remember Tony Campolo is a very famous Baptist um, preacher from America, and he has this classic sermon that I'm sure you might have heard on, um, on Easter, running up to Easter, and he's quoting this Southern Baptist old uh, preacher who repeats this phrase over and over again. He preaches on, on Good Friday, and he says, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And this is the phrase that he repeats over and over again. He's trying to encourage the people. Yeah, it's, it's Good Friday. Jesus died. Friday, it's Friday. But remember, Sunday's coming. I want to put it to you. Maybe we should get into our heads. It's Sunday. But Monday's coming. It's Sunday. But Monday's coming. What I'm saying, it's wonderful to be together on a Sunday and to, and to worship and enjoy each other and to enjoy God's people. But the big question, does our zeal on a Sunday produce passion for justice and mercy in our lives on Monday? Amen. That's the big question. 
Verse 6 and verse 9, Isaiah tells us practically what social justice and practical mercy looks like that pleases God. Is this not the fast that I've chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the press go free, etc., etc. There are five things. Oh, there are, what I do want to say, especially the, um, in verse 9, if you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness, I want to say this. I have to say this. <laughs> the most disappointing aspect of all the stuff about in the Euro or out of the European Union has been the ugly, ugly, ugly way that people have spoken to each other. It is sickening. I commit to you this. I commit to you with all of my heart. I will love you whatever you vote for. I will love you. Will you commit to love me whatever I vote for? If you'll do away with the pointing finger, your righteousness will break forth like the dawn. Let's not caught up, get caught up like everybody else, pointing fingers, vilifying people, killing people that disagree with us. What is that? Oh, sorry, I am, I'm actually am angry. Five things that should be our passionate concern as Christians for loving, with, loving justice and showing mercy. They are, put, they are passionate needs for Isaiah. They are passionate concerns for Jesus. Here they are. First, the need for freedom from bondage and oppression. He says it four times in verse 6 and once in verse 9. Loose the bonds of wickedness, unstrap the, the yoke, let the press go free and break every yoke. That's what he says over and over again. My friends, we just have to take one look at our world and see oppression everywhere. Yeah? Social oppression, injustice, sexual exploitation, people in bondage to drug addictions. Uh, right now, the, the, um, the stats on, on teenagers that are depressed are the highest they've ever been. What is my point? My point is that if we will look, we can be those that are living with justice and mercy, beating in our hearts and reaching out to others and making a difference to ordinary people just by being salt and light. That's my point. The press are all around us. Can we help to take the yoke of oppression off people? Second, the need for food. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? Third, the need for housing. Is it not to bring the homeless poor into your house? Fourth, the need for clothing. Is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen, to, that's chosen to, when you see the, the naked to cover them? And fifth, the need for respect. Take away the pointing finger. <laughs> you see, Isaiah and Jesus are saying, if we don't let these things transform us, our, our religious zeal is worth nothing. And the rest of the portion just goes on to say what God will do if we start to let these things shape us. So I ask you, when you cast your vote this week, is it going to be helpful to shape mercy, to bring justice? Is it going to show that we're being merciful to people or we're judging others? I'm not telling you how to vote. I'm asking you before God to hear His voice for your life and to use your vote wisely in a way that's going to bring justice and mercy for everyone, not just a few. Well, 
I always manage to um, offend people somehow, so I'm probably offended some people here this morning. But you know what? I don't, I, I don't, I don't apologize for what I've said in this sense. I didn't write it as I did. Jesus quoted it. I'm just quoting what Jesus said. Can we love justice and show mercy to others? And to finish this morning, I want to show you some stories, uh, historical stories. I've, since I've come to the UK, I've been so encouraged by history. I love history. And um, quite rightly these days, there's a, a a focus on business ethics, corporate responsibility. Uh, companies are increasingly judged not just on the size of their balance sheet, but how they treat their workers, the impact they're having on the environment and society. I think that's good. I think that's wonderful. It should be like that. But I've been so inspired by some Victorian guys who were all entrepreneurs, and I'm going to share some stories as I finish. I'm going to do this in five minutes. Really, I hope to encourage you that you can do the same with your life, whatever your skill is. All right? Because these guys lived with the heart of Isaiah 58 beating in them, and it was so effective, it was such spectacular success that when I tell you who these guys were, are, are, 150 years later, the companies that they, that they um, started are still making a difference in the UK today. Isn't that amazing? And the charities that some of these men started are still doing things that are impacting the world today. And what am I talking about? Well, how many here in this building this morning have not been touched by one of these things? How many of you have enjoyed a Cadbury's chocolate bar? Anyone? Good. How many of you enjoy Round Tree's fruit gums? Anyone? Good. Anyone um, had Huntley's or Palmer's biscuits? Anyone? Yes? Okay. What about a Boots Chemist? Anyone been to Boots Chemist? Anyone been into W.H. Smith? Anyone had Col Coleman's Mustard? Ah, interesting. Anyone put personal products in your washing machine? Unilever products of any description? Anyone put them in their washing machine? There are many others that I could quote to you. These were all men that lived with Isaiah 58 beating in their hearts. And look what a difference they made to the world. And what I find most interesting is that when I tell you their names just now, that none of these men came from, from very wealthy backgrounds. Most of them came from humble origins. Some of them came from considerable poverty. Two of them left school at age 13. And most of them age 15. And what did they do? None of them went to university. All of them worked in their parents' shops. And from there, they learned their trade. And they became the most influential people in their, 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 their um, generation and literally employed thousands and thousands of people and made a difference to thousands. Just by doing what they were skilled to do and living with a heart that was not selfish, but was for other people. So, for example, George Cadbury and Joseph Roundtree they had a, a new chocolate that they brought into the UK, which was free of starch and other additives. And because people so liked this drinking chocolate initially, Cadbury's drinking chocolate, um, they dominated the whole confectionery market in the UK and uh, started to dominate across the world. Um, Jeremiah Coleman, anyone been to Norwich? 
That's where Coleman's mustard comes from. And uh, William Lever, who started the Unilever uh, company, which was to do with um, detergents and things like that, they saw packaging and marketing in a whole new way, and they birthed the mass consumer market, really, in how they started to market their, their products. Uh, Jesse Boot. Jesse Boot was a man who, who started dis distributing medicine, and he was a brilliant salesman. And... Uh, he realized that you need to advertise. Jesse Boot was one of the first person, people to ad advertise in the way that we know now, as in a modern kind of way, and uh, he dominated the, the medicine market. A number of these guys, they also relocated their working people from squalid conditions, cramped conditions in, in um, towns and cities to what we would today call, green, call greenfield sites. And so you can go and visit them if you'd like to. I can tell you where you can find one. You can find one in Bourneville. Anyone been to Bourneville? You see what they did for their workers. You can go to um, New Earswick, Saltire, Port Sunlight. These are all places where these Victorian industrialists built places for their workers. So for the employees of Cadbury's and uh, Roundtree's and Salt and uh, Unilever, they didn't just provide wages, they also provided health care, education, re recreation, entertainment. Is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen? That you care for people? That you love them? That you live for others? They ran company night schools, social dance events. They provided allotments for their workers to work on. On bank holidays, they organized for their workers to go away to the seaside or to the country. I don't know if you know this. Anyone heard of Thomas Cook? You know who Thomas Cook was? He was a Quaker. He was a person who loved Jesus with all of his heart. And what he did, his business started organizing Sunday school events to the seaside. That's how Thomas Cook started. Now we use Thomas Cook to fly all over the world. Thomas Cook started with one man who loved God's people and he wanted to organize a Sunday school outing to the seaside. So there were two basic motivations for these men. One was political, but the other was a motivation of faith. Most of them were liberals in their day and so they believed in free trade, self-help, minimum involvement of the government, and that appealed to people that were trying to get businesses um, together. But all of them were motivated by faith. All of those men that are, that are quoted to you, Roundtree's, Cadbury's, I forgot, I forgot Lloyd's, Lloyd's, the banking group, they were also Quakers. <laughs> Barclay Brothers, also Quakers. God's people making a plan for those that are less fortunate than themselves. All of these men were Christians. And we say, oh, our nation wants nothing to do with Christianity. The bedrock of our nation is built on believers living for others. All of them were nonconformists. What does that mean? Well, they weren't part of the, the traditional Anglican and Catholic churches. They were, like I've said, most of them were Methodists, some Baptists, Quakers. In fact, George Palmer, Cadbury, and Roundtree, they were all Quakers. Uh, there's another guy called Joseph Fry who fries chocolate. You heard of fries chocolate? Yeah. You know, most of them started selling drinking chocolate. Do you know why? 
because alcohol abuse was so bad, there were children lying on the streets addicted to gin for years and years and years and years, 18th and 19th century. So what did they do? They said, we want to get people off the streets. What we can give them to drink except not, not gin. We'll give them drinking chocolate. Some of these guys came from congregational backgrounds like uh, William Lever, Thomas Beecham, Jesse Boot and W.H. Smith. Oh, that's the other one I forgot. W.H. Smith, Methodist guy. On every corner, every station, there's a W.H. Smith. Every time you go and buy yourself a chocolate or a pencil or a newspaper, remind yourself, W.H. Smith was a guy that loved Jesus with all of his heart, and he started a business to make a difference for the community. Every time you go and buy boots, every time you bank at Lloyd's or at Barclays, remember the origin. Remember that someone laid down his life to live for other people and say, I'm going to live unselfishly. Every time you fill up your washing machine with Purcell, remind yourself. <laughs> it's good to remind ourselves. These men are heroes. These men live for others, not just for themselves. Every time you book your holiday, Thomas Cook, remind yourself. You can make a difference for someone else just by doing what God has called you to do, just by responding like, like David did. You're going to hear Quibbis' story. And I'm sure there are many other stories. Why? Because it's Sunday now, but Monday's coming. It's Sunday now, but Monday's coming. We need to be those that are prophetically showing the world the love of Jesus through how we live, by living for justice and showing acts of mercy. I'm not telling you what those acts of mercy need to be. I'm just asking you that you respond to the Holy Spirit in your own life and show mercy and justice to everyone that you come into contact with. Amen? I'm sorry if I've been heavy this morning, but it is a, it is a sober thing that we're talking about. I wasn't trying to be. I think something of that needs to grip our lives, that we do live in a way that pleases our Father in heaven, in a way that brings liberty and freedom to other people. Amen? We're going to break bread as we finish. Uh, if you're visiting, we, we are, we are, we're not trying to be irre irreverent in how we break bread. We, we, are, we, are, we want to honor Jesus and all that He's done. And uh, we honor the cross, we honor the, the body of Jesus, we honor His blood poured out. But we, 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 we pray quite casually with each other. And if you're visiting this morning and you'd like to uh, join us and you love Jesus, you, you, please, please feel free to do that. But uh, I'm going to pray and then we're going to break bread. And I'm going to ask that um, maybe when you're pr praying this morning, why don't you just go and encourage someone that you know is working in a certain area? Uh, uh, Jill, Jill Smith um, works with people with mental health issues all week. Well, why don't you go and pray that the grace of God will encourage her? Yeah? There are nurses that are working with sick people every week. Why don't you pray that the grace of God would encourage them in their calling? There, uh, uh, Derek works with the homeless. Uh, uh, there's accountants. There's... Uh, people that own businesses, there's people that are engineers, there's people that are teachers, there's people that are living at home as housewives, serving their families. We all need grace to flow in our lives. Amen? To do what God has called us to do. Can you pray for someone 
else this morning that the grace of God will flow through them and be a blessing to many as they just live their lives and do what God has called them to do. Amen? So, Father, we come as your sons and daughters. We come as grateful for all that you've done. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for what you've called us to. Thank you that you're making us more and more like your son. Jesus, thank you that you're calling us to live for others, that you're calling us just like these men of old laid down their lives in such practical ways and have made a difference to our nation for centuries. God, I pray that your church would rise up with the same passion in their hearts, that that's, we, we would all start living with Isaiah 58 beating in us, that we would be practically loving people and showing your mercy and your kindness to everyone that your kingdom might come, that that highway for righteousness might be built in our own lives and through the life of this church into this community. And Lord, we come to your table grateful as sons and daughters. We come thankful for your body. We come thankful for your blood which was shed for us. And we ask, Lord, for your forgiveness where we've displeased you, where we've hurt other people by our words. We have been guilty of the pointing finger. God, forgive us. Help us to live in a way that doesn't point the finger to anyone else, but simply responds to your Spirit changing us. We pray, Lord, you'd help us. We come celebrating to your table, thanking you for who you are, what you've done, and the freedom that we now enjoy as your sons and daughters. We pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen.